0: So yesterday, Matthew mentioned the uh, Infinity Summit, and it was great, I learned a lot. I learned a lot. Um, so yeah, we gotta do this again. I heard people talking about, let's do this again, Affinity Summit 2. Um, uh, I, maybe even the idea that um, this one maybe it's not as good. Um, I heard someone suggest, yeah, we do Infinity Summit and beyond. And and I know a guy who's a retired astronaut named Buzz Lightyear. And we get him on the panel next year, Matthew. I'm not sure that's a great idea. And and while we're talking about great ideas, because there were a lot of great ideas yesterday, um, I'm sitting there minding my own business. And Matthew, during part of his introduction for part two about artificial intelligence, told a story about in Japan there are now clergy robots that do like weddings and funerals. Our church chair chimes in from the platform, Dan Crichton, thank you, and says, oh, maybe preachers as well. (laughs) The guy who's up the next day is listening to this conversation. So, for all my AI friends yesterday, Siri, can you preach? Siri, where are you? (laughs) Hey, Siri. Can you preach my sermon for me this morning? Hmm, I don't have an answer for that. Is there something else I can help with? And that, my friends, is what we call job security. (laughs) I received a note this week from one of our international staff, one of our sent ones, one of our, our, our missionaries. And in this, he told me a story that had just recently happened. He was called by another colleague of his who works in the Slavic part of the world. And he said, "Uh, John, could you do a favor? Could you head down to Mexico? Uh, A family and some friends that we have been involved with for many years are in Tijuana at the border. They have left Ukraine. Could you help this family? Let me read to you what was written to me in a note. So here I was, he writes, my friend John, our friend John, one of our sent ones. Here I was driving a Ukrainian family, a family I had just met a few hours ago, to the Mexican-U.S. border. Now we were about five minutes out from facing the U.S. Customs Border Control. It had been a slow and long two-hour line of cars creeping toward the border. It was a first for all of us, so emotions were close to the surface for all of us because none of us knew what lie ahead. I was driving and in the rearview mirror, I could see the two male Ukrainians devour as much food as they could from the snacks that we had brought them. They were anticipating the possibility of confinement, not sure if any food might be provided to them. The father only hours earlier had prepped his young children that the family might be separated and then he might be put in handcuffs and taken away. This was his understanding from his limited internet research. It was at that moment I remember thinking, boy, I am really not doing much here, I'm simply driving. I have my US passport and I'm confident that if I'm clear and upfront in my communications, I will stay clear of any legal complications. And I did truly feel that I really wasn't doing much. I was just a driver after all. It was the family who was doing this wild, audacious jump, flying across the Atlantic, fleeing a war, approaching with a couple of suitcases, an unknown border, in hope of gaining asylum in the U.S. At this very moment of reflection, pondering that I wasn't doing anything more than driving, I saw the father looking at me in my rearview mirror, and with tears flowing down his face, he surprised me by saying, Thank you, John. Thank you, John. The unpredictability and the unknown outcome of the next steps were approaching and I was only driving a van. What on earth did he mean in this raw moment of gratefulness? It then struck me that the outcome and the unpredictable future really wasn't the point. Miles away from his home and exhausted in every sense of that word, this father was genuinely grateful for the presence of another. The presence of someone willing to simply be with him and his family in the chaos and the unknown. He wasn't asking me nor expecting me to fix their situation. He was simply grateful to know that he was not alone. I realized in this palpable moment that this is the joy of Emmanuel, God with us. And also the joy of getting to emulate Emmanuel. There is a deep joy and honor to be with others and to genuinely appreciate others when we are with them. It really goes both ways. I really did enjoy the privilege to be with them in this chaos, even though it seemed like I was, quote, just a driver. And it seems that this in this and it seems that this man genuinely appreciated and drew strength from the companionship of another being with him in the midst of their personal trauma. And chaos. Family, this morning we're going to consider the, the critical role that with plays if we are truly going to be Jesus' witnesses in our world. Would you stand for the reading of God's Word? Luke 10 1 to 12, and then 16 to 20. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others, and he sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers to his harvest field. Go. I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or a bag or sandals. Do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say, peace. To this house if someone who promotes peace is there your peace will rest upon them if not it will return to you stay there eating and drinking whatever they give you for the worker deserves their wages Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. Heal the sick who are there. Tell them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into the streets and say, even the dust of your own town, we will wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Now jumping down to verse 16, whoever listens to you listens to me. Whoever rejects you rejects me, but whoever rejects me rejects him who sent me. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions to overcome all the power of the enemy nothing will harm you however do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you but rejoice that your names are written in heaven and this is the word of god please be seated I'm going to make some really quick observations about this passage. If you've been following Jesus for any period of time, this is probably a very familiar passage to you. But Jesus brings very uh, great clarity to this particular mission for these 72. Elsewhere in another gospel, it refers to the 70. But this is what it's going to look like if you're going to be my witness on this particular mission. Jesus gives very clear information to those who are going. 14 very specific bits of information are packed in his instructions. He gives very clear directives coincidentally also 14. I don't know what to make of that but there are 14 commands or directions given very specifically with great clarity. Now this does not mean that all witness all mission must look like that. If we drew that conclusion we'd be doing very poor scholarship. But it does give us some broad perspective and appreciable principles that can undergird all of us in mission. Because as Pastor Matthew just reminded us, we are all on mission. Few quick observations, verse two and three, we see Jesus just say go. Did you notice in the text, it was go exclamation, stop, take a breath. It's not go exclamation, it's not go colon, let's talk about it exclamation and how go in faith and go courageously lambs among wolves go courageously verses 4 to 7 the first part of verse 7 you can expect some to receive you with generosity how often we are so fearful in our witness right am i the only one Jesus says, hey, you can expect some will receive you with generosity. Stay, eat, drink with them. Verse verse 7, the second half, practice relational consistency. Those were not his words, those are mine. He says, don't move around when you are welcome. And what happens if you don't move around? If you're in someone's home for a period of time, you're practicing relational consistency. He tells us to do that. He tells them to do that. He says, be respectful, eat what's put in front of you. Anybody else besides my mom raise you that way? Eat what's put in front of you. You know, in anthropology and sociology, we just call that, in psychology I suppose too, a behavior. Behaviors come from somewhere though. Right below behavior, usually our values. Hopefully our, our behaviors reflect our values. So why is he telling them to eat what's put in front of him? Not because it's just polite to do, because I'm showing respect to the generous person who made a space in their home literally, at their table literally. And if we look at this passage and God says he's preparing some uniquely, they've already made space in their heart and so show respect. 9 to 16, Jesus says, I'm going to be honest. We're going to go out and do this thing and it's going to be hard. And I don't want you to go out naively. Rejection will also be your reality, just as it has been mine, Jesus says. But how did this begin? He sent them out, how? Two by two. There's some brilliance in that in all sorts of ways. As pastor referred to, where two or three are gathered. So there's that brilliance. But far beyond that. Anybody here ever been through rejection all by yourself? it's a very lonely space back in days before there was almost electricity when I was in college um, I was a starving writer and I was starving because lots of rejection slips came my way but the secret sauce was you were in workshops with other writers who also were getting rejection slips coming their way and together we would bemoan our fate we were not alone that pales to engaging and the spiritual call to be God's people in the world, and the kind of rejection that gets experienced in some of those moments. Jesus says, go two by two. One last comment from this passage, and that's in verse six, and that's my beard talking to you, I think. My beard has something to say. Fear the beard. In the midst of this passage, in verse 6, Jesus talks about this person of peace. This idea of the person of peace has really come to dominate missions and missiology in the last maybe 50 years or so. This little tidbit Jesus gives the 70 that says, God has prepared some folks for you. Look for them he's done a work he has gone ahead just as the 70 were sent ahead of jesus so it is that jesus says my father has already gone ahead of you and me seven years ago we moved into uh the neighborhood we live in now nancy up up in Altadena. Well, when the pandemic comes to town and we're all locked away, and all of a sudden you notice all, the, all of us began walking a lot more, right? All by ourselves is the one thing we could do. When I moved into the neighborhood, I'm not sure how many of our neighbors were really excited that a pastor had moved in on the corner. Not only were we in the neighborhood, we were on a corner, so we had, you know, we got folks going both directions. Now, I do not very often lead my introduction with I'm a pastor. <laughs> I like to have a little conversation first for a while before this person potentially walks away i tend to describe myself as an educator and someone who works in justice and compassion that opens a lot of doors but by now people by the time the pandemic comes around people know i'm a pastor for the most part in our neighborhood because we've gotten to know most of our neighbors but something had changed this person of peace thing that speaks to the heart of preparation my neighbors now were super interested on their walks if i was sitting on the porch or we were gardening or something to have existential conversations about life in ways that I'm not sure that they saw the pastor as real useful in the neighborhood before. But now some of my neighbors were identifying themselves as people of peace. So here's a takeaway for us. Let's be really practical. Do any of your neighbors have any religious icons that maybe they wear as jewelry? Maybe they have a, a reclining Buddha statue in the front yard or a, 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 a little sanctuary for Mary? Friends, these are people that have some sort of spiritual engagement or they are longing for it. Might they be people of peace in your neighborhood? At your job? The Uber driver with prayer beads hanging from his rearview mirror? These are signs that God is preparing people to engage in spiritual things. They might be that person of peace. So you're saying to yourself at this point, Scott, I, I'm not one of these 72 that are, that are sent out, so what really, what does all of this story have to do with me? I mean, aren't you supposed to be the global outreach guy? Isn't that your job? Well, let's, let's revisit a foundational basic, can we, friends? To be a disciple is to be a witness. It's not a bonus attribute. It's not something you earn later its core. And this this term of I'm a Jesus follower is is not some sort of uh, unobservable idea. Listen to the word follower. It's readily identifiable. You follow or you don't. Scott, you're being so mean today. I know. It sounds harsh, but sometimes if we simplify things, it's actually better. Literally, in, in, in Jesus' time, a rabbi would have literal followers. Jesus would walk this way, and they're like a line of little gosling, ducklings, or goslings, or ducklings. They'd follow behind their rabbi. You knew this was a follower of Rabbi X. We've got to ask ourselves, if I'm a follower of Jesus, am I, in fact, actually moving after him wherever he might be going? Following Jesus means being sent to show forth God's love to those who do not yet know it. And to do so knowing you've been sent by the power of the Spirit. Jesus said to his disciples in John 20, 21, 23, I send you like the Father sent me. And it's always in the local and in the specific and the concrete. Friends, being a witness, that's not some abstract idea unless we make it an abstract idea. We join up with God in bearing witness to where, and how, and why God is restoring community through God, through the work of Christ, by the power of the Spirit. That's what being a witness is. It's rooted in a place, a physical place, and it's always rooted in relationships. Actual, personal knowledge. And it's out of these places, these relationships, that opportunities for our witness and service emerge. God's people throughout the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, have always been called to be present in the local and the particular, not the abstract. God's people have always been called to be pilgrims, not settlers. A portable people is commissioned by God in Exodus 19, that my people will be movable. They will take my blessing. My people will not be those who retreat behind walls of separation, whether made of stone or maybe made in our mind caused by fear or separated by the privileges created by wealth, power, and influence. We will be present. I like how Eugene Peterson, in his paraphrase the message, writes it in John 1.14 that Jesus came and he moved into the neighborhood. Paul's put it this way. In Philippians 2, 5 to 8, we should have the same mindset as Christ, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with him something to be used to his advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, being found in appearance as a human. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. This is the missional ethos, church. The servant leader, In the model of Jesus, going in humility, going sacrificially to be with, to stand with, to be in relationship with. That was then. What about now, Scott? Thank you for asking. Because with shorter-term mission in mind, I want to bring us back to today. I want you to hear the words from an African leader with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship in Africa, because he he thinks about this example, or we think about this example here in Luke 10, but it helps to have a perspective in our day. What does it look to be on shorter-term mission assignment from the receiver's point of view? This gentleman writes, I appreciate the fact that North Americans are willing to come to my continent in spite of the often poor circumstances compared to where they come from. Those planning to engage in missions work need to understand the cultural context and worldview of the local peoples. They need to adjust their perspectives and also learn to receive from the local peoples. Generally, they are accustomed to giving resources, and they find it very difficult to receive. Did you hear the unspoken question in this comment? It was this. Are you with us? Will you be with us? North American missions leader and a colleague, Paul Borthwick, put it this way in his book, Western Christians in Global Mission. Time together is how we build trust. There's no other way. Our majority world, meaning those uh, non Western world, our, our majority world colleagues believe that we should go there to serve, go there to listen and to assist as they request it. Then we develop trust that our majority world family will work with us, help make us more effective. As the family relationships develop over time, there might be an involvement of money, but this money goes both ways. We have donated and we have received we have raised money to serve but we have also been hosted and housed and fed by the local leadership team do you hear the reciprocity there it's exactly what jesus tells the 70 and or 72 in this passage go you're going with a message the kingdom of god is near but expect that i've prepared people and places to receive you and when they receive you, you are to receive from them. That's a very different posture. This summer, Lake will join with the church, capital C, the church in Lebanon, in Reach and the Bacaw Valley specifically, to serve God's mission there together again after a few years, a couple years of hiatus. Again, we will join with... The church, capital C, in in southern Texas, specifically in the community of North Richmond outside Houston, to serve God's mission there together. We join with God's church, Big C, here in Pasadena to serve God's mission here in our schools through tutoring and our partnering with stars, with teachers and partnering with them down at Blair and Blair Middle, Blair High and Middle. We partner with incarcerated serving men and women in local jails, hungry for the word of God, growing as disciples and leaders behind bars in their mission field. We provide physical and spiritual need for the physical and spiritual needs of those who are on the economic margins around us. Those who have had lives disrupted by war and violence in their neighborhoods and around the world all of these this is where this church and our congregation joins god in his mission these short-term these these limited time mission assignments they're growing by the day as we continue to try and make sense of this post-pandemic reality but church and i mean this individually i mean this at the family level where's your place where's your place where's god sending you where are you sending your brothers and sisters we do this together and where are we sending our church even today in the plaza afterwards you know our high schoolers have been out there and it's not just a high school team that's headed to north richmond it's kind of an inner gen team would you go ask them hey what are you doing you're going because i can't wow i get to go through you i'm in go ask them their names can i pray for you have you raised all your money yet i know the answer to that and there's a gap can i buy some rice crispy treats because i got a hundred dollar bill and i think one rice crispy treat will really go a long way I'm trying to cut back <laughs> friends there are practical ways of the heart of the soul and of the hands and feet in the wallet that we will partner together to send our church on mission Next month, you're going to have a chance on Father's Day to do something crazy with our team headed to Rayoch. Then I'm going to have the privilege, along with our college young adult director, Beth Paz, to to co-lead back to Lebanon. Plan accordingly. It's going to be a very fun thing out on the patio on Father's Day. The harvest is still plentiful. The workers are still too few. Ask the Lord to send out workers. That's one of our jobs. Ask the Lord to send out workers into your neighborhood and the world. Ask the Lord to send you, to reaffirm your sentness, for Jesus says to his church, just as he said to these 70, go, for I am sending you. Let me return to the passage as we wind down. The biggest principle and takeaway overall from the story I haven't even touched on yet. We've talked about this ministry model, this this going, that witness is the product of with whether God works from the external like healing ministry and we see it here in the passage about deliverance specifically or from the internal the person of peace whose heart has been prepared neither kinds of witness is accomplished without being with the people and church we must never confuse proximity physically as being with Though presence is a critical ingredient, withness, to quote Paul from Romans, is sharing in joy with those who are joyful, mourning with those who mourn. It is a spiritual, emotional presence, not merely a physical one. We've all been alone in a crowded room, right? We understand proximity. We do understand withness. Being on mission doesn't automatically grant you that you are somehow now a witness. It's earned through witness. It's earned by listening and serving, learning and receiving from those who you came to be a witness to. Again, Philippians 2 have that same mindset as Christ, who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with Him something to be used to His own advantage. Rather, He made Himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. Church, if this is Jesus' model, how can we think there is any other way to do witness but to do it with and out of humility? Finally, returning to the passage, and I saved the, the best takeaway for last. The disciples return. Jesus does a good short-term mission leader, and he debriefs them. They're all happy, right? Even the demons responded to us. This is my picture of what happens. Jesus goes, looks at his watch or the equivalent of, and says, "Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever. What he- healing? Okay, yeah, yeah. Okay, fine. You know what's really important, guys? That's all good." But what's really important is that your name is written in the book. The most important thing, he says in verse 20, is not to rejoice what you saw God do through you, though that is important and in the kingdom of God has come close. But the most important thing is the relationship of the one who has sent you to you. Mission grows out of intimate relationship with God. It is a command to obey, which means we can choose in or we can choose out. We can obey it and go or we can disobey and stay and retreat. But the fact is, mission grows out of our intimacy with our Father. It is relationship that's based on our witness with God. God, so that then our witness can be experienced by others, growing out of our intimate relationship with our Creator, our Redeemer. And friends, without this, we have no message to carry. Without witness, there is no witness. Some of us may have to unlearn how we've been discipled to follow Jesus, some of us were taught to follow with our minds first. And our hearts may be later. Jesus in Luke 10, in this whole chapter, as a matter of fact, if you look through all of Luke 10, it's themed around loving response. The passage we just looked at is about hospitality and ministry, both giving and receiving. The very next story is this Good Samaritan slash Hurt Man we've rebranded now. And what is that about? It's about serving the other, loving someone with need and the chapter ends with mary and martha hosting jesus mary prioritizing time with jesus it's about love and presence and witness the entire luke 10 chapter church we are invited by jesus into mission and the invite comes in the form of sending us and like all things we get to decide are we in or are we out jesus opted in for you and he opted in for me his invitation to the 72 and to us today is that we might opt in also. And when we do, we experience this blessing of being his missional partners. And when we share in this blessing, here's the crazy thing. We again receive blessing back. The satisfaction that we have joined our good, merciful God in what he is doing. Together, church, let us recommit to be more than just witnesses, but to embrace our sentness to be his witnesses. In closing, I want all of us here, those of you at home, if you're a follower of Jesus, I want you to take a minute to listen in prayer to the Spirit. And I said listen, not talk. Listen to the Spirit. And see if there is anything he wants to say to you regarding your understanding of witness and the critical role it must play in your witness. Take a moment.